This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Do you say and do things when drinking that you regret the next day? Is alcohol a problem for you or someone you really care about? Over the next hour, we'll find out how people just like you and me found sobriety in AA through sharing their experience, strength and hope. Welcome to AA Live, brought to you by Alcoholics Anonymous. Kia ora e tifano. welcome to the AA Live radio show. This is the show that explores the ideas behind a way of recovery through the Alcoholics Anonymous program. Thank you all so much for being out there listening with us this evening. Now, we have got a couple of things going a little bit differently today. I'm going to read you the preamble first today. Uh, which is Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their strength, experience and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. I'm going to say a quick serenity prayer this evening. Folks, I need this just to get me through the show, which I will explain to you shortly. So, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Now, you're going to hear a show this evening, and I just want you to know that what you're going to hear is uh, my opinion and the uh, guest that I have on the show this evening. Uh, It's a recording from another time. So these are not necessarily the opinions of AA as a whole. This is uh, just us getting together and having a chat about it. So today our show is dedicated to one of our previous hosts, um, Mike, Mike H. And Mike ran uh, what we called, what he called the happy hour show. And uh, he ran that for years for uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And he did that for his service. Sadly, our friend Mike died um, last week in a tragic fishing accident in uh, Waikaiti. And so what I wanted to do this evening is play a show that uh, Mike previously did where he shared his story. And you'll hear it couple of um, things we're, we're going to start with how he used to start the happy hour which has certainly made us have a wee laugh here in the studio but um, on Sunday Mike was actually going to be 40 years sober um, he he dedicated his sobriety to doing service um, with Alcoholics Anonymous and he was a good friend of mine that taught me a lot in the short time that I've been in the in the uh, fellowship. But I think I need to sum it up best by something my sponsor said to me, and I think she did a pretty good job. She went, 
Mike was a kind and gentle man with a wealth of AA knowledge and how the traditions worked and what they meant. He will be missed and he leaves behind a huge gap. Let's be grateful we knew this kind, compassionate, stubborn, quirky, lovable, fun gentleman. So tonight we have got a few little things there for, um, for you to listen to. First of all, I'm uh, going to turn it over to him and uh, enjoy the listening. Do you do and say things when drinking that you regret the next day? Is alcohol a problem for you or someone you care about? Hi, I'm the Lone Ranger and this is my horse Silver. Why not join us every second Tuesday at 9pm when we tune into the happy hour? Brought to you by Alcoholics Anonymous and Otago Access Radio. Find out how people just like you found sobriety in AA. So it's hi-ho Silver and away to the happy hour. Okay, we're going to have a break there and we're going to put on a little bit of songs. I think we might have some Stevie Nicks, actually. Rooms on Fire. Enjoy that, folks, while we just pull ourselves together here in the studio. Thank you.
Before I begin telling you my story, I'll talk to you about how AA works. Now, we are a society which doesn't have any rules, but we do have some suggestions, and we have, uh, we do have uh, certain steps, 12 of them in fact, which I'm going to read out now. Now only one of them mentions alcohol, and that's step one, and only step one needs to be done 100% well or properly, and that is step one where we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Then step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We then take step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Well, I'm 57 years old, and I was born in Palmerston North, and I grew up in a family which was loving, with two parents who spoilt me rotten, my three sisters and I, and we had a fabulous life, a golden childhood in fact, great education, well fed. New Zealand really was a country which had the highest standard of living on earth in those days and we wanted for nothing. The only cloud on the horizon was that both of my parents were alcoholic. My father was drinking when I was born and we had all of the tensions and stresses which go with a family in which alcohol is an issue. Now, I have to say that we came from a family which was, shall we say, petite bourgeoisie. Neither of my parents were very highly qualified, and although they had a good income, things were always stressed in our family. Money was always in short supply, and we came from what you might call the, uh, we, we came from what you might call Struggle Street, and my parents were always at odds with one another over small issues. So there was always tension in the house. And when I was about 12, 13, the tensions erupted and my parents divorced. My education fell apart. And by the time I was 15, I had left school, didn't even do school certificate. And I was in the workforce trailing around, pursuing one meaningless job after another, council labourer, factory hand, 
kitchen hand and at a time when I might have been pursuing a meaningful education I was wondering what on earth everything was all about and uh, my parents were shall we say uh, pursued by their own demons and not really in a position to offer my sisters and I much guidance it's uh, a common tale and uh, my my family wasn't unique and my situation wasn't ideal but then neither was it uh, unusual so I'm not feeling sorry for myself but I'm just saying that I got off on the left foot or the wrong foot perhaps and so when I was in my teens I was under considerable stress and I just I had just never quite learnt how to put things together I was socially awkward I was very very immature and in fact I was noted for my immaturity and I could not be relied upon to make rational or adult decisions and I wasn't making the kinds of choices that young people should have been making I wasn't learning to save or budget I couldn't be relied upon at work to turn up at work on time or behave like a responsible young man I certainly wasn't the kind of person that bosses looked to for promotion I couldn't uh, I, I didn't take on any kind of apprenticeship because I couldn't make decisions there were too many choices out there and I didn't know what I wanted to do and I wasn't prepared to make any kind of commitment so I didn't make any choices or decisions and when I was in my early teens, late teens I was at a low ebb one Friday night and three older men said to me, I was a public servant by this time in the post office, three older men said to me, well why don't you come to the pub with us? Now at that stage I never drank much, whenever I did drink all I got was a pounding headache after a couple of drinks and nausea and I certainly didn't feel like drinking but nor did I feel like going back to my lonely bed set after a meal on my own at some horrible restaurant in downtown Wellington. So just to be polite, I said to these gentlemen, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll come to the pub, and I was going to have a beer or two just to be polite, and then maybe go downtown for a light meal and then take in a movie and go home. But I was in the pub with these guys, and I was drink, drinking beer, which I hated, and all of a sudden some kind of switch clicked in my brain and I'll make a I'll snap my fingers some kind of switch clicked and a door opened in my brain and some kind of cascade opened in my head and all of a sudden I stepped into another dimension and all of a sudden I just understood some some sort of it was just I, I stepped into another dimension and this cascade of ecstasy and bright lights, some kind of fireworks went off in my mind and all of a sudden I understood everything. I I stared into the, I saw into my own soul and I understood everything at once and this is, I, I had a spirit, an, an anti-spiritual experience, it was like a religious trip and I realised that why people drank I understood, and from that moment on, 
all I wanted to do was drink. And th- at this point, we come to the question of what is an alcoholic? Well, hitherto, I had imagined that it takes 40, 30 or 40 years of hard drinking to become an alky and that you have to be an old man sleeping on a park bench with a half bottle of gin or spirits bes- beside one to, to be an alky. Well, to be honest with you, I believe that you can be an alky from day one. All you have to do is have a weakness, if you like, for alcohol. And I became an alcoholic that night with one drink. It was just there waiting. I had a pre-existing condition and it was watered that night and the seed germinated. And in fact, the great American writer Annie Prue talks about children uh, who live in trailer parks who are badly stressed and when their parents throw down uh, bottles of uh, cans, I I beg your pardon, of Budweiser, these children pounce on these cans and huff the fumes. They they, they sniff the fumes of Budweiser and then drink the dregs to get a wee buzz, these three and four-year-olds, to make themselves feel better. And these children, Prue correctly states, are alcoholics because they're seeking some release or solace. That's all they want. And people can be alcoholic at three or four. And I was an alcoholic in my teens just after one night of drinking. And after that, all I wanted to do was drink. Nothing mattered after that. And I wasn't a daily drinker, but you can bet your bottom dollar that every time I drank, I just didn't stop. And if anybody had said to me, do you have a problem with booze? I said, no, no, I love it. I have no problem with alcohol whatsoever. Once I started drinking, I just couldn't leave it alone. I was never physically addicted, but I did get the shakes the morning after, and I felt terrible with hangovers and the dry heaves and whatnot, but I could not leave it alone. And I couldn't bear to be out of sight of alcohol. If anybody had said to me, let's go for a bushwalk for three days and into, into the bush, I'd have said no, because however much it might have appealed to me, you know, the quiet bush, the peace, the solitude, the getting away from it all, I wouldn't have wanted to go because there were no pubs in the bush and I couldn't bear the thought of there not being a drink at the end of the day or even halfway through it. So booze to me was just my best friend and I adored the stuff. And so I was in trouble from day one and I was in trouble. I can recall once I was at work and I'd been to the Clyde Key pub for a drinking session in my lunch break and it was no affectation, I really needed that drink. And the boss class used to go down the other way to Dee Brett's on Lambton Quay. And when I got back, I was certainly affected by booze and so was my boss. And we got into an argument. And I would have been sacked on the spot. And I should have been. But he was equally inebriated. And he knew that he would have been breath-tested too. So we both got away with it, but I was very, very lucky. And I remember an older, wiser woman took me aside and she sat me down and said, Son, 
please be careful. You're a young man. You can go anywhere, do anything, but he can't. He's middle-aged. He's stuck here forever. So just be a bit gentle with him, would you? And I remember thinking, well, I'm trapped too, you know. That's how I felt because I couldn't go anywhere either. I just felt that I was useless and had nowhere to go because I was very, very negative. I could only see things in black and white. I couldn't see emotional colour as part of my condition as an alcoholic. And so booze took away the pain. Now, booze is a depressant. I thought it was making me feeling happy, but it wasn't. It was taking away the stress, but it wasn't giving me true happiness. And so when I drank, I behaved badly because it took away my inhibitions, but it didn't make me a better person or a nicer one. It just took away the inability to... uh, uh, It just took away my inhibitions, and so my behaviour was gross, appalling, and sometimes downright dangerous. And I'll relate one or two of those episodes shortly. Now... As time wore on, the fun times wore off and my drinking became more and more inappropriate and I did things that were more and more more and more appalling. Um, but I could never see the I could never see the the inappropriateness of my behaviour. I recall one night I decided one Friday evening I thought I'll I'll lay off the booze tonight, give myself a break what will I do? Well, I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll do something useful. I've got some library books that need to be returned to the public library. I thought, that'll put my life in order. So I set off downtown with my library books under my arm, and I returned them to the library, and I thought, ah, oh, now what? I thought, well, that deserves a drink. So I went to the pub, and I found some friends, and I chatted to them, and then they went their way, home, I suppose, to their wives and a meal. So I went to another pub where I didn't know anybody and I met some strangers and after a while I got truculent and belligerent. Hard words were exchanged and I got into a punch-up and tufts of my hair got pulled out and I got a bloody nose and blood on my shirt and um, my, my, my buttons got ripped off my shirt and my, my jacket got damaged and my glasses got bent out of shape and I, I got uh, a cut above my eye and um, all in all a very satisfactory evening and so I staggered off to the pie cart and had a toasted sandwich for dinner and a cup of coffee and then I was staggering home and I met my father in the street and he said, oh, you look a bit the worst for wear, where have you been? And I said, the public library and it was true, I had been to the library but it didn't occur to me to say, well I've been to the pub and I got into a punch-up because booze just didn't factor into it. it. It didn't occur to me that the alcohol might have been a problem. To my mind, I'd been to the library and that was the end of it. Booze was such a a feature of my life that it didn't even register. It was like breathing. I mean, I mean why would I tell him that I'd been to the pub? I mean, the pub was just a fact of my life. Anyway, I'm going to start talking about my recovery in just a moment. Now, I have been out on the street, before we go back to Mike, I've been out doing a little bit of uh, my street talk interviews. Have a listen to this. What are the couple of things that you do daily or that you put in your mind that you must do to keep your recovery? Um, The serenity prayer and (laughs) anti-abuse. Nice. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The two things that I do to keep my sobriety is that I have to keep my faith. 
I've got to say my prayer uh, the way that I see it every morning. And then I've got to practice. Uh, the second thing is I've got to practice, um, you know, all the good things, my um, own form of, like, meditation, my mantra, that sort of thing. And that keeps me going, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> I sit and I read um, the Daily Reflections. And um, basically I just sit and wait for some inspiration for my day because I never know what's going to come to my life on the on a daily basis. I um, nice. I guess that's prayer and meditation for me. Basically, um, being grateful for my life today, I express that to myself. Lovely to do. Oh, thank you for asking me that question. Um, what I've found works for me best is to just keep things really simple. I've got a busy head and a busy mind and I've got to just check in and check my motives and keep things simple, you know. Just keep things really simple and gratitude. Just remind myself, I can wake up and I can make a choice to be grateful. I can wake up not feeling great, you know, I haven't had a very good sleep or I might have work and my default is just like, uh, and so I just uh, take a pause and just remind myself of um, that I'm sober today. I'm grateful for that, and um, and give give um, praise and grace to my higher power. Lovely, thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Good to see you. Come tomorrow because I know yeah. Jane Nine's back in town. Yeah, yeah, come yeah. tomorrow night. Cool. Just doing, being able to do a little bit more. Just, I don't know. I seem to be getting my days are falling at the right day to be able to come to me. Yeah, yes. to come to meetings, and that's what's required, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can do it, it's hard around work. See you, lovely Mike. Do you want to answer the question? Carol's in there at the moment. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much for that question. Well, number one, I have a, I have an armchair at home, and uh, on it is a big book, and every day I pick a portion of the big book, and sometimes from the stories from the people uh, who share their experience, strength and hope with it. And um, I read a portion of the big book at random. It might only be a paragraph or half a page. Then I close the book and I think about it. And the second thing I do is pray and try and hand my life over. And I say try because it doesn't always work all that well <laughs> because I am uh, self-willed and I keep taking my will back. But essentially, it's just a reminder of where I'm at, who I am, what I am and what I need to go be and where I need to go. So really, uh, meditation and prayer. Lovely, thank you. Thank you. Um, so probably fundamentally for me would be my yoga, yoga practice. Um, so I, I wake up early and one of the blessings with that is that there's no one around. It's very quiet and still and whilst my head feels quite clear, not all the time, um, I really use that time to ground myself and really connect through my feet and through my breath and have an awareness of my presence in the space um, and then I sort of feel from that moment that I've kind of set myself up for the day um, and that whatever happens I'll be able to handle it and that's really evident to me when I don't practice and things happen I find myself really scattered and anxious so yeah it's something that I know is a, is a real tool um, and without it, I can get, I can get easily scattered and anxious 
and find myself overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. that's so, when we pick up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. yeah, whatever whatever works, you know, and everyone's very different in that. Um, for some people, it's reading a book, walking. It doesn't matter what it is, and it it's may look to you. the outside world completely balmy, but who cares? You know, you do what you got to do, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Right, we're going to return back to Mike's story now. Enjoy the rest of that. I stopped drinking. That was my rock bottom. But I couldn't not drink and so after a few weeks of trying to stop drinking on my own I failed and drank again and that's when I realized that I was an alcoholic and would always drink again unless I had help and so I turned to a friend who said to me you need help I suggest you join AA and I did and so I did join AA and the going was hard at the beginning because I had to do things that don't come naturally the main one being don't drink But with the love and support of the people in AA and their example, I began to get well. And I had to learn to accept the existence of a higher power. Now, the the genius of AA is that it doesn't say that you have to believe in God in the religious sense. It is a God of our own understanding. You have to undergo a spiritual experience, meaning that you have to have one obsession shunt aside another, meaning... God or your higher power can and will shunt aside uh, the obsession to drink, which is a good thing. And the point is, is that all you have to do, all they suggest you do in AA, is become ready to believe in a power greater than oneself. Now, I was terrified of this prospect. I thought, what will happen to me? Won't my personality disappear? Won't I become a a non-thing? Won't I become like the hole in the proverbial donut, as they say? Where will I go? Will I become nothing? Will I vanish? Will I become a non-entity? Well, what I did was rediscover myself. My, My personality came back in spades. And I did have a spiritual experience because one night I was in such pain that I prayed and here's what happened with my spiritual awakening this is what happened to me this is my testimony one night I was nearly sobriety and I was in deep pain and I prayed I said God I've given up alcohol I'm going to meetings and I'm in deep pain I reached the end of my tether I can go no further under my own unaided power I'm turning to you now and I need to hear from you God I've been told to pray, here I am, what must I do now? And God answered me, he said, If you want to be happy, you have to, you have to stop seeking approval. And I said, but I'm a strong-minded, tough individual, I don't seek approval. And God said, oh yes you do. All your life, you've felt like the odd man out, you've felt like the fifth wheel. And so, when you found booze, you found a way to take away the pain. But now you're in pain, and the only way to, because you're not drinking, the only way to find happiness without booze is to be yourself and accept yourself as who and what you are. Be yourself and just accept yourself. And I said, I can't do that. I'm full of self-hate. And God said, then love yourself. I said, how do I do that? 
God said, just do. And I said, all right, I will then. And with that, I was filled with the sense of belonging. Of I felt whole again. For the first time, I just felt at peace with myself. I felt at one with myself. And I'd, I'd never felt that way before. I, I felt as though a car had been parked on my chest all my life and I couldn't breathe. And all of a sudden, I could breathe again. And all of a sudden, I just felt at one with the universe. I had this spiritual awakening, but it was a real one this time and one that didn't involve booze. And that came through the power of prayer, through a spiritual awakening. And I've never felt the same since, and I've, that's why I've embraced the program in day A. Now, this all begs the question, of course, after 33 years, why am I still in AA? Why didn't I just stop going? It's because, I said earlier, I'm a very negative person. I can't see emotional colour. That's true. Well, this disease is in my marrow. It's in my DNA. It's in my bones. And the disease is incurable. It'll come back all of the time. It'll never go away. I was born with it, and it's with me for life. And if I stop going to meetings, the disease sits on my shoulder and it whispers in my ear, you don't need recovery, you don't need AA, you don't need God, but you need a drink. One won't hurt. Remember the good times. Remember what a character you were. Go and show them what a rebel you were, how much fun it was. You were a bohemian once. You were a character. Go and make them laugh. Remember those times the police used to pick you up. Remember those times you stood in the street and held the traffic up and recited poetry. Remember you're a mixture of Sam Hunt and James K. Baxter. You were hilarious. Yes, remember those times. Remember those brawls you were involved in. Remember those times you peed in the street and those tourists laughed. <laughs> well, they weren't funny. They were dangerous. The beatings. And the problem with this, the problem, the real tragedy with alcohol is, is that the disease is doing exercises in the, in the background. If I go back to drinking now, I won't go back to where I was when I gave up. I'll go back to where I would have been had I continued drinking. If I have a drink now, I'll wind up in a coma or in a police cell or in hospital for life. There'll be no coming back from it. That's why I need to be very careful. I need to drink not. I need sobriety one day at a time. I do need to drink. That's why I need to not drink. I'm an alcoholic. That's how I define myself. Now, sobriety's given me a career, job, marriage. It's given me a stepson. It's, it's made me a, an uncle. It's made me a brother again. It's made me a good son. It's made me a writer. It's made me a part-time broadcaster. It's made me a librarian. It's made me a poet. It's given me a life. And I can't squander it, and I can't throw it away. This is why I'm doing the 12th step today. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, 
we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all these in all our affairs. I have to say, guys, you are listening to the AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. It has been a pleasure listening to Mike this evening and hearing his stories. Um, it's always, yeah, it's been a little bit of a rough show. But, um, hey, onward and upward, I want you to have another listen to some more street talk. There's some great people out there with some doing some great things in their journey of sobriety in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and they're going to share that with you right now. Hi, I wonder if you can tell me, what are the two things that you find are important for you to keep your sobriety, something you do each day or you just find important? Uh, when I wake up in the morning, I start my day by saying the serenity prayer and humbly ask God to keep you sober today. Lovely. That's nice. Thank you. Oh, that's quite easy. The first thing is going to a meeting every week unless something like death of your wife or you're dying on the operating table or there's a war declared and you can't get there. That's my golden rule. If you've stopped going to meetings, it means that you're slowly losing interest in the thing that nearly killed you. Mm, true. I like it. Thank so you. Keep it simple. Yeah. That's true. Kia ora, my name's Steve. I'm a... Oh, don't. Sorry. Kia ora. I like to get into prayer meditation. Nice. It's, it's me. Yeah, I get a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the two things. Well, the first thing I do is I I most often do daily readings in the morning. So when I wake up, I have breakfast and do my routine. But a part of that routine is uh, doing some of the literature, like the daily reflection. And so that, you know, puts me in a good mind space, I suppose. You know, something to think about and consider as I go off. You know, at night the day has happened, so, you know, you, but in the mornings you're not sure and you go out there to see what the day will do. And, yeah, so that's one of the things I do. Um, and well, I, I attend meetings is one of the second ones. So that evening or in the evening uh, of the day, um, I will more than likely go to an AA meeting. Um, and, you know, by just coming along is all I need to do. So if, if I've had a big day, you know, sometimes I feel like listening. You know, I don't always have to share, and um, I, but I'm always inspired. So, you know, that's kind of how it works for me. Um, yeah. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, good question. So for me, I like to keep it simple. Um, as I've grown a little bit in this program, uh, prayer Prayer is a big thing, and I never thought I'd hear myself say that. Um, I'm very, very big on gratitude, so I have a gratitude list, and I can rattle off 10 things easy um, to be grateful for. And it's, so that sets my mindset up for the day. Um, and obviously reaching out to, to other alcoholics um, certainly keeps my head in the game. And, and I try, luckily for me, it, it's quite easy to do people keep, touch with me and I touch base with them on a, on a pretty much a daily basis so um, yeah I just immerse myself in the program of recovery because uh, for me the drink is to die so yeah that's that's it in a quick nutshell in me. a nutshell, lovely thanks 
What are the... Sorry, push my over here. Okay. A couple of things I do to retain my sobriety. Every morning I give thanks. And give thanks to the small mercies, small things. Nice. I like it. Thank you. Every morning I say the serenity prayer. And evenings I do sit down things like paint my numbers and diamond art. Grand. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to play one of Mike's favourite artists. I know he and his wife went and actually saw this man live, but a Leonard Cohen, uh, very much a favourite of Mike's. So this song is for you, buddy. Now I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really for music, do you? It goes like this The fourth, the fifth The minor fall The major lift The baffled king Composing Hallelujah Nothing on my tongue but high. 
I'd just like to uh, say thank you very much, everybody, for uh, coming in and listening to our show this evening. Uh, if you've got a problem with alcohol, come and join us in the rooms. Um, come and see us. We're here, uh, just a bunch of alcoholics helping a bunch of other people who want to be sober. It's what it's all about. It's a, a wonderful fellowship for me personally. I've met some amazing people in these rooms. And in Dunedin, we have 14 meetings a week. Uh, you know, that's quite a few. It's such a small town. So we have ones at lunchtime and we have evening meetings. Please check out our website at aa.org.nz. On there, you will find meetings that we have all over the country. And also, you know, obviously since COVID came in, we have Zoom meetings too. So please do jump on there. That's aa. .org.nz. If you need to reach out for help straight away, please do not hesitate to call us on our 0800 AA Works line. That's 0800 229 6757. On the other end of that phone line, you will get one of us and uh, we will be there to listen and have a chat with you. So that's 0800 AA Works, 0800 229 Five, seven. I'd also like to just say a little bit more about Mike. He uh, he sent me a text on his last day, and as I said at the beginning of the show, he had a um, a terrible fishing accident, and he sent me this text the day before he went, and he said. I don't know how many men in recovery have gone mad and found fishing, but I think it's thousands of us, especially trout fishing. And he loved it. So we loved you, Mike. Rest in peace. I'll protect you from the hooded claw. Keep the vampires from your door. like fire I'm so in love with you Dreams are like angels They keep bad at bay Bad at bay Love is the light Scaring darkness away yeah. I'm so in love with you Purge the soul Make love your
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.